0: Well, we had an exciting night here last night. I don't know how many people were in here last night, but it was definitely an exciting night. I do want to say something about the trunk retreat, though. Um, Last week, Pastor Tim said to the congregation, for those of you who were going to decorate a trunk, which we didn't end up doing trunks, obviously, but uh, for those who were going to decorate, he said, don't dress up as something scary like Walking Dead or something like that, but dress up as something, and he he gave himself as an example, dressing as uh, Coach Harbaugh, and and I thought to myself, we have a lot of state fans here, and I can't think of anything scarier than a U of M coach. <laughs> I, so, I, I'm sorry, I had to say that, I had to say that. Um, no, but we just had a wonderful time, and you know what, I believe God was in the weather last night, because the fact that it was raining so hard and people had nowhere to go, well, they did have somewhere to go. And, uh, and so we were excited to have them all here, and, and uh, so thank you everyone who, who, uh, who pulled that off. And uh, we serve a mighty God, and, and, uh, and, and He's in control of all those things. And He's mighty even to save. Amen? Amen. And we've seen that through the baptisms today. I don't know if you notice the church, but they say, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, uh, and so that's an exciting thing, uh, to see people who have made that decision. Well, we'll uh, continue where we left off. We're in the Book of Romans. So we're studying the Book of Romans, making sense of what matters most. That's the gospel. Just to make sure everybody's caught up with where we're at on this, um, um, we are in. Uh, we started in, in uh, chapter one. It's a good place to start in the book, and uh, we we studied sin, the doctrine of sin, and we understand that God is just in punishing us for our sins because by nature we're sinners. By nature, we re- rebel against God. That's the bad news. But the good news makes sense when when you understand the bad news, and that's why we dealt with salvation next. And so we uh, we talked about salvation and. Uh, chapters 3, about halfway through chapter 3, all the way through chapter 5, talk about salvation, and we learn that it is by grace, by the grace of God, through faith, that is our response to what God has done, Uh, and it is not of works. We cannot earn our salvation uh, or or earn heaven. Well, then we began a section on uh, sanctification, and that is the process of becoming who God has called us to be. It's, uh, It's... the, the process, we're saved at the moment of salvation and that changes our eternal destiny. But at that moment begins a process of sanctification where we become more and more like Jesus Christ, right? And, yeah. and so we, that's the process of sanctification. And we're about midway through that process right now uh, in the sense of the text. I mean, Some of us are midway through, some of us might be even further along than that in the process of sanctification. But, uh, but that's where, where we're at in, in the book of Romans. Now, one of the first questions that came as we started that section was found in the very first verse, and that is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, There's a theological term for this concept, and it's the idea that since God has provided the grace to forgive us of our sins, why don't we just go out and continue in sin? And so we've been talking about that for a few weeks. I want to give the the biblical or theological term for that. We call it licentiousness. That's a big word, licentiousness. Sometimes they use the word license for short. But the idea behind it is it's a state of being unbridled or unrestrained by any moral obligation or lawlessness. I like the idea of unbridled because when you think of what a bridle exists for for the horse, what does it exist for? To keep them on track, right? But when you are unbridled, then you go wherever you want, you do whatever you want to do, and unrestrained by any moral obligation or lawlessness. And a lot of people use or abuse, I should say, grace in this manner. And they think, well, because God has forgiven me for my sins, I am going to do whatever I want to do. He's already forgiven me, right? It's kind of like going to a restaurant and realizing that uh, the price was way more than you could pay and you don't have the money and you're not sure what to do. And someone offers you their credit card and says, here, put it on my tab. And you say, oh, in that case, I think I'll order dessert, right? Right? It's not right, right? And so uh, that's the idea of licentiousness. We call it license because another way of putting it is that grace equals a license to sin, right? Now that we have grace, oh, and I have a license to go sin. That mentality, as we've studied over the last few weeks, is absolutely without merit, right? And we studied that mentality over the last couple of weeks. We found that license still produces two negative results, one of them... Uh, being slavery because we become slaves to our own sins we think it's freedom because it's freedom to do what we want but our wants lead us into things we really don't want to do isn't that true and we studied that last week and how that then leads to shame it is the path of death as Paul described it in chapter six and we found that Paul compares license to what we'll call liberty freedom real freedom and real freedom is not slavery, it's, it's freedom to, to be free of your own desires that would get you into trouble. And it doesn't lead to shame, it leads to fruit, a harvest of fruit. What we find when we get to chapter 7, starting in, in verse 7, where we're at today, is that we're only seeing half the picture so far. We're going to find that that's, it's kind of like a pendulum of sorts, and, and there's a whole new category that we're going to talk about. And... Uh, and so we've seen that licentiousness or license is only one way to abuse the grace of God. There's another way to abuse the grace of God as well, as we'll, as we'll see here. Um, it's kind of like a, a pendulum. If we put liberty in the middle of a pendulum, if you think of, a, of some kind of, of heavy object or a ball, and, and you ha- have it hanging on a string, it will always hang in what direction? Down. In fact, it's, we can measure things by that. We can measure how straight a line is by that it will hang down. License, in one sense, is taking that to a completely different extreme. Oops, I clicked it twice there. And it's taking it to a completely different extreme. And we're taking the grace of God and, and, and we're abusing it. But if you take a heavy object and you pull way over here the, and it's connected up there and you let go, where is it going to go? It's going to go back in this direction. Is it going to stop right here? No, it's going to pendulum swing to the other side. And, and that's really what we see here As well, and we find that there's a pendulum on both sides. That's what chapter 7 is really all about. So, uh, from there, let's take a look at what Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 12 teaches us. Just listen uh, or follow along as I read. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin, except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me a manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is uh, and the commandment, holy and just and good. So we, we find in these verses that Paul explains to us what happens when we begin to think that, that somehow following the commandments of God will bring us life. In fact, what did he say in verse 10? He said, uh, uh, if I could find it again. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. So that there's this mentality: of if we follow the commandments, then somehow that is going to bring life, right? And it makes sense if we if we look at the opposite end of the of the spectrum, and we see license, and we say, "Boy, we're sinners. We 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 fall into sin, and when we indulge in sin, uh, we become slaves to sin, and we, there's shame." So why not swing all the way to the other end and just say then the only way to find salvation is through total obedience and somehow we have to earn salvation through obedience to the commandments. And Paul said, I, I tried that and get, what did it lead to? It led to death. It led to death. And so we'll look at what, what he means by that. If we look at the, um, at, at the uh, options here, we start with license and what we find is that, uh, the idea is that the law is good and if you obey the law, then everything is great, right? Makes sense. But what's the problem? Well, when we get engaged in license, we're saying we forget the law, we disobey the law, and we think then everything's going to be fine, but everything is not fine. We have slavery to sin. We have shame. So in that pendulum swing, we go from one side, and we go all the way sometimes to the other side, and we'll call that today legalism. So in an attempt to avoid the consequences of license, we often fall into the pitfall of legalism. I want to say right now... I know that when you use, as soon as a preacher uses the word legalism, a lot of people just to, turn their ears right off, right? Anyone here admit that you're tempted to tune out? <laughs> no one's going to raise their hands, I know. But of course we do. Why? Because of the word legalism has been abused and thrown around so much that we get sick of hearing that word. Anyone else sick of hearing the word legalism? All right. I, I'm, at least one person's honest. I saw that. So, Of course we are. We get sick of hearing the word. So I want to explain a little bit what legalism is not. To make sure we're on the same page as we look at the text and what this, this text is saying about legalism. Does that sound fair? Our legalism is not having standards. Right? A lot of people think if you have standards, then you're a legalist. But What? You have a standard? Oh, you legalist. Have you ever heard that before? All right? and, and so we're not talking about that. You can have standards and that does not make you a legalist. Secondly, a legalism is not calling sin, sin. Did you catch that? Legalism, it's not legalism to call sin, sin. A lot of times, if you say, oh, the Bible says that this is sin, and so you call that a sin, and then someone engaged in that sin, well, it <coughs> makes the inference, well, if that's a sin and I do it, then I must be a sinner. You're judging me, legalist. Have you ever heard that? That's not what it's saying. In fact, the Bible tells us that if you see a brother in sin, what are you supposed to do, according to Matthew 18, You're supposed to go to him and show him his fault. Now, we can't judge him. We're not the jury. We're not, we're not, we're not the judge. But it is our job to let them know what God's judgment already is. Amen? And so we're not talking about that. The third thing is, uh, legalism is not being old-fashioned or conservative. There is nothing wrong with being old-fashioned or conservative, is there? There's nothing wrong with that. It could be, uh, and we could be talking about anything from music to the way you dress to all sorts of things. Now, this could bleed into legalism if you start using that as a standard in place of Scripture, right? But there's nothing wrong with being being conservative. There, it, when you start calling things that aren't sin, sin, then the Bible has some words for us, right? But there's nothing wrong with being conservative by nature, and so uh, we, we accept each other based on those things. Amen? We, we should not divide over those kinds of things. If a person likes one style of music or if one person likes to wear a tie to church, and another person doesn't like to wear a tie to church, we don't divide over those things, right? Honestly, I'd like to have words with the person who invented ties someday, because... Well, I was going to say, someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to have words with him. But then I think, I don't think he's going to be there. So... <laughs> Did I just say that? I'm sorry. I said that out loud. It's just too tight for me, you know? It's, it's nice in, in Costa Rica where nobody ad ties. And... But, you know, we don't, we don't argue over those things, right? We don't. Because we don't because we don't, It's just stuff. And, uh, and so we're not, that's not what legalism is. What legalism is, in, in, in the context of God's word, what it is saying, in, in the context especially of salvation, legalism is believing that you can earn your way to heaven through obedience to the law. In the context of salvation, it's the idea that if I follow these things, if I do these things in order, uh, then I can re- re- really come to a point of earning or deserving salvation. And Does that work? No. It does not. Paul clearly builds argument all through the first six and seven chapters that it does not work that way. You can never earn your salvation. I've heard people say to me before and witnessing to them, like, well, I I can't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior yet because I've got too many things I still have to work through. Let me overcome this sin and that sin and this sin. You're doing it in the wrong order, right? God accepts you where you are, regardless of what sins you have, what bad habits you have, and he accepts you as you are. In fact, the Bible says he adopts us, right? I love that imagery. Because when you adopt a child, you don't know what their history is, you don't know what they've gone through, you don't know what sicknesses they might have. But you are wholeheartedly accepting that child as your own. Amen? Amen. And you take them and you love that child regardless of what's going on. And that's how the Bible pictures his relationship with us. He adopts us. I'm adopted by God. that's pretty cool when you think about that. And so he loves me regardless of, of what my sins are. And so legalism, in the context of salvation, is believing that somehow we can earn salvation. In the context of sanctification, it's very similar. In the context of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, it is believing that you can earn back the grace that you were given at salvation through outward compliance to rules. That feeling like somehow I can earn that relationship that God already gave to me, and we strive and we think that this is the process for becoming who God wants us to be. In, in other words, the way we could look at it, 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 it's heart. Legalism is an attempt to control the behavior without really changing the heart. It's focused on the flesh instead of focused on the heart. The idea is if I can just follow these rules, I can earn some merit, I can earn some status. And the moment we start thinking that, then pride comes right back into our life. And pride is the enemy of salvation. It is also the enemy of sanctification. The moment you start thinking, wow, I've kind of arrived. I've kind of learned, boy, I'm not who I used to be anymore. Then that's the moment you're going to really start falling. Because the root of all sin is what? It's pride. And so God says there is no pride in salvation. Remember what he said? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. And it is, there is no room for pride in sanctification. It is a constant hindrance to our spiritual growth. That's what we're talking about when we talk about legalism. So what does Romans tw- uh, 7, verses, or verses 7 through 12 say about it? Well, let's look at it again. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. We find that the law is good. Even the law exposes sin. In fact, that's what it goes on to say in, in the second half of the, of the verse... It says, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. So the law is good because it exposes sin. So the thought is, if the law is good, then why don't we just push ourselves to obey every part of it and we'll be good. That's the logic behind it. And here's why Paul says that that is faulty logic. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, but sin... Taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. Where's the evil desire? It's in me, he says. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What's he saying? He's saying that even though the law is good, it doesn't work for me because I'm a lawbreaker. And guess what? All of us, by nature, were lawbreakers. Right. By nature, we tend to break the law. We don't break all the laws. But we pick and choose the laws we want to keep, don't we? And we break some laws. If there's anyone in here who says, I've never broken a rule, I've never broken a law, I've never done anything wrong in my entire life, uh, then you just lied. Just broke one of the Ten Commandments, right? As well as pride and humility and so on. I'm a lawbreaker. So then what does that mean the law does for you? That means that the law condemns me. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, we read, And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion, by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. We don't like the law when we realize that it condemns us. Right? The law condemns us. So the final thing, the conclusion that Paul makes is the problem isn't the law. It's me. I'm the problem. The sin is inside me. Where does evil dwell? Inside me. So when I try to focus on, on outward obedience, I'm in trouble. Right? I'm in trouble, in deep trouble. So the problem isn't the law, it's me. And and so if I swing to the one side, if I leave license or leave license and licentiousness, and I swing to the other side of legalism, then I'm going to run into some problems. So, so what what are those problems? What what does he mean? And Paul goes on in verses 13 through 20 and he describes the inner war that's going on in us. He describes the sin nature in a very clear way. As I read verses 13 through 20, I want us to understand that when he uses the word will, he's not talking about will in the sense of future. Every time he uses the word will here, he's saying, when I will to do something, when I volitionally choose to do something, listen to what he struggles with. And this is the apostle Paul. Verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. Here's where he explains that. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. By the way, those who uh, speak Spanish know that the root word there is carne. It means meat, right? It's fleshly. I'm fleshly. I'm carnal sold under sin. Verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, what I choose to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For... To will is present within me, but how to perform what, uh, what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You see that constant tension that Paul's talking about? This is what I will to do. I will to do what is good. And then I do what is wrong. How many of us have done that every January 1st? <laughs> right? This year, I am going to go and I'm going to exercise. And I think I've shared this uh, over the last New Year's that, that I went to a gym, I was going to a gym three, four, five times a day. And I went in January and it was packed. I was like, wow, what's going on? Why are there so many people in here? And the guy that was lifting weights right next to me, is one of the regulars, he said said, don't worry, give it two weeks, and it'll be just us again. (laughs) Why? Because we can will to do something that's great, but then what happens in the moment? We we end up not doing what we will to do. And then what we say we're not going to do, we end up doing. Anyone else struggle with that, or is it just the Apostle Paul? (laughs) Okay? Yeah, that's us. That's me. That's a description. That's where we're at so many times. We have that will to do what is right. And what we find here in, in, uh, in uh, Romans uh, seven thirteen through 20 is that there's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. And, and it has everything to do with our behavior and everything to do with what is right and what is wrong. What we find is that our spirit, on one hand, has the desire to do what is good. Right? Our spirit desires to do what is good. And how does our spirit relate to evil? It hates evil. It hates evil. Our, our spirit can't stand to be in the presence of evil. But our flesh, on the other hand, what does the scripture say? There is nothing good that dwells in my flesh. Fleshly, I want to do what I want right now. And you know the things that we usually want in for the long term are, are in contrast to the things we want right now. Right? I mean, I wanted to come here and preach to you. I wanted to come and baptize people that I want. But when the alarm went off, I didn't want to get up. Right? So those desires that we have in the moment are fly in the face of all the desires that we really want. And that's the nature. That's, that's our flesh. And so we have to learn how to overcome our flesh so that we can, we can give in to what the Spirit is telling us to do. And what does our flesh say about evil? Our flesh is evil. It doesn't even say that it loves evil. It says that our flesh is evil. So that's the the conundrum in which we find ourselves. Um, That's where we're at. So the question then is, if our starting point is going to be the flesh, what do you think that's going to do to our outcome? If we say how we're going to please God, how we're going to build our standing with God, how we're going to to increase in, in our relationship with God, it's going to be through the body, through the flesh, through, through some kind of adherence to a list of rules, what do you think is going to be the outcome? Same outcome as it was for the Apostle Paul will be the same outcome that it is for me and for each of us. We will fail, right? I mean, if we look at the big picture again, if we, if we know that on one end of the spectrum then disobedience to the law is bad, Right? It has all sorts of negative consequences. So if we go to the other side and say, well, then if it's all about obedience to the law, that's good. That's the, the, the thinking. The problem, Paul says, is that, guess what? We still disobey the scriptures. Why? Because sin isn't something out there. Sin is something in here. Right? In fact, Titus says at one point, there is nothing evil. What does he mean? No, things are evil. Things aren't evil. We're evil. Right? We make them evil when we use them incorrectly. Right? take you know drugs are drugs evil no using them incorrectly is evil right there's a lot of things that, that, that could be good they're part of God's creation if you use them in the proper way I mean you can even make rope out of marijuana right So just don't smoke it the point is this that things aren't evil evil is where? it's inside us it's inside us and that's where we have to deal with the problem that's, that's where the problem exists I mean, you could fall in either of these two directions and be in just as much trouble. It's kind of like bowling. Which gutter is worse, the one on the right or the one on the left? <laughs> They're the same. And so, yeah, some people think, well, at least I'm not en- engaging in license, right? Because I'm a legalist. I'm doing a lot of good things. so I'm better than that guy over there. And... and then you have the person that's engaged in life and saying, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite, right? So, yeah, I do a bunch of bad things, but at least I don't claim to be good. And they point fingers at each other. Which one's wrong? Both. Right? Wouldn't it be nice to play some gutter bowling? Have you, or, or what do they call it? Bumper bowling, where they put something in both of, the, both of the gutters so that as you roll it, no matter where you roll it, it bounces, and comes back in, and you end up hitting a bunch of pins anyway. Have you ever seen that for kids? And, and uh, uh, wouldn't that be nice spiritually? And so, so that, that, both of those extremes are problems, and, and somehow we want to find that balance in the middle of liberty, real, genuine freedom. But the reality is that we oftentimes vacillate between the two. Isn't that true? Right now, I'm not even talking about salvation for a moment. In our sanctification process, we vacillate between those two. There are times where we're walking along and we say, well, here's, here's a sin, but it's really enticing. It's, well, God, you know, God's already going to forgive me So we start engaging in that sin And all of a sudden, oh man, there's slavery There's, there's shame, there's all sorts of things Going on bad, and, and then we repent And then we start doing better, and we do better And next thing so, you know, we're veering off the road to the other side So I think, hey, you know, I've come a long way You know, I'm doing pretty good I'm better than those guys Right? Guess what? Now we're falling into the other side of the road And if you avoid the ditch on one side of the road To land in the ditch on the opposite side of the road You're still in the ditch Right? And that's what we do spiritually and we keep finding ourselves vacillating from one end to the other and, and that's the way we live our lives. That's what Paul is saying. I, there are things I will to do that are good and those I do not put into practice. There are things that I, I will not to do and those things I do put into practice. That's the, that's the struggle uh, that we as human beings go through. Both extremes are traps but it doesn't have to be a way. There is a balance between those two and we find that in the, in the, the last paragraph of the chapter. I'd like to read verses 21 through 23. 21 through 23. Here we're going to find Paul is going to give a conclusion of what we are, and then he's going to leave us with a question and an answer. Verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So both of them exist together. Verse 22 For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, the flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So this reveals that inner struggle that we've talked about, and he kind of sums it up very, very well in those few words. Then we come to verse 24. And this is where we find his conclusion and a question. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So what's his conclusion? His conclusion is, I am wretched. I am wretched. You know what? That's the first step of getting it right. Recognizing the, the fact that we are wretched by nature, we're disobedient by nature. Because what does that do? It takes pride out of the equation, doesn't it? When we come to that point, we realize, I am wretched. And then he goes on to describe, where he says, the, the body of death. Now, that might not mean a whole lot to you, but, but when he said, in verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death, the Romans knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, you might be able to say this to the Galatians or some other people, and they might not have completely understood the connotation, but, but the Romans had, uh, had some pretty gross ways of punishing people for their sins, all right? Is that a, okay? Wait, I want to keep this at least PG-13, okay? But, uh, but they had some brutal ways to punish evildoers. One, everything really from impaling someone to death by a crucifixion, which we see in the life of Christ. And one of those ways that they had, and they called this the body of death, and so the Romans knew what, he, what Paul was talking about. The body of death was where if a man killed another person under certain circumstances and was, uh, was sentenced to death by body of death, then they would actually take the corpse of the, the victim and they would chain up hand to hand, foot to foot, neck to neck. And anyone who, uh, who helped or assisted in breaking that chain, uh, that they would, were put to death very serious and so can you imagine for a moment a man who kills another man and he is, he is chained to this body not on his back on his front face to face foot to foot hand to hand so you can imagine every time he opens his eyes what is he looking at? he's looking at what he did now by the way I am not saying that the Romans that this is good right? neither is Paul he's not advocating for, for cruelty and punishment Paul's not, at, he's not saying that He's giving the imagery of something that already existed to help us understand how he saw his sinful nature. And so, as as every time that person who's who's guilty would look into, it would open his eyes. He's staring into the face of the person whom he killed. And you can imagine over time, things change, right? It's rigor mortis sets in. I won't go. I won't go into detail because I think your imaginations are probably beyond what I would want to say, right? but it would be a terrible thing. And then, being the fact that he was a man who had been scourged first, he had open sores, then the death that's in the one body becomes a haven for diseases, and it gets transferred to the other body, and the entire time he knows that his sentence is death, and he knows that it's going to come from the person who was his victim. That's a gross thing, I know. Paul said, that is how I feel about my sin nature. I look it in the face all the time I see it and I know that it's killing me it's killing me and who
1: will deliver me
0: from this body of death that's the bad news but you know what there's great news in the last verse there's great news in the last verse if we look at at uh, uh, at verse 25 he said I thank God and here's the answer Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He breaks the chains. He separates us from the body of death. You know, there there may be a lot of people here who think, I'm trying to please God. I want to please God. I want to go to heaven. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I think is best. But if you're honest, in your heart of hearts, you know you're still a sinner you're selfish. You've offended God, right? And if that's you here today, I I want, I've got bad news for you and good news. The bad news for you is that everything you do, even if you were perfect from this point on for the rest of eternity, guess what? It's not good enough. Because the sin is in you, it will come back, it is there. But I've got great news for you, and that is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins. And he didn't stay there, just like we saw uh, today in the baptism. We we don't stay there. We also are risen with him. We have the glorious hope because Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, and paid for our sins and purchased a place for us with him in heaven for eternity. I don't know about you, but that's great news. And and, and in a few moments, we're going to sing a song. We're going to have an opportunity for you to, to respond. And if that's you today, if you're not 100% sure, if you've been trusting in, in any good works, in fact, if I were to ask you today, why should God let you into heaven? And, and if, if your answer had anything to do with, well, I've tried, then, then, that's, then I'm talking to you right now. When we have an opportunity to come, I'm going to ask you to either come forward and talk to me, or you can go to the back. We'll have some people in the back. They have a little lanyard that says, ask me. And they can show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? I also want to say to those of you who, who know for sure that you've made that decision, you've made that decision, I'm going to give you an opportunity as well. Because even though we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we, we find our, ourselves falling into the one trap or the other many, many times. And so I, I, what about you? I want to ask you three questions as we go into our invitation time. Three questions. Number one, have you been striving in your own flesh to earn your standing with God? Have you, been, have, you, have you felt like, oh, I have to do this in order to earn my standing with God? We call that legalism. If that's you today, whether it's in the context of salvation, and we can show you how you can be saved today, or whether it's in the context of sanctification, and in, either, in either case, is that you? The second question I want to ask is, have you been giving in to your flesh by indulging in sinful behaviors? Or maybe some of you you know something is sin. You've been confronted by it. The Holy Spirit's convicted here. Maybe some others even told you. And you just decide to keep doing it anyway. Whatever it is. You might think it's small. Guess what? There are no small sins. All sins will lead to slavery and shame. And you know what? God is waiting for you to repent. Because He can't wait to give you forgiveness of that sin. Amen? Back first 1 John 1 9. I I say it a lot and I'll say it many more times. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Not only that, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He helps us overcome those sins. The third question is, have you been experiencing the freedom of serving the Lord Jesus? The, the freedom that comes from knowing that even when I start to slide into indulgence, God's always there to forgive me. And then when I start to catch myself in pride and, and legalism, God, God can bring me back, and, and, and that there's freedom in the fact that Jesus Christ already paid for that. In fact, Romans 8.1, the very next verse that we're going to read starting next week, says, therefore, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. We are doing bumper bowling, in a sense, right? And what freedom that gives us, and we'll talk more about that next week, but have you been experiencing the freedom? Because if your answer to number three is no, then the problem lies in your answer to either one or two. Does that make sense? And right now is the time to make